Welcome. Can everyone hear me? I'm on, right? Yeah. Um, it's September. As we've mentioned, it is a new year. Not mathematically, but September always feels kind of like that new year. I've been, been told and heard many times this week. Um, the teachers have gone back. The students have gone back. Work picks up for lots of us. It's a fresh, clean slate for the hearts of Toronto Maple Leafs fans to be filled, to have a whole season filled with optimism and hope for that to inevitably just be absolutely crushed. Um, I'm ready to have my heart broken again. Um, and in our Sunday morning gatherings, it is a new sermon series that we started last week that Carolyn kicked off for us, talking about the vine and the branches. So in John chapter 15, Jesus says that he is the vine and that we are the branches. And if we remain connected to him, that we will bear much fruit. Sorry for the voice crack. That we will bear much fruit. We will bear love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And so last week, Carolyn's encouragement to us was to remain connected to the vine that is Jesus Christ. In our everyday lives, remind ourselves that we need to be connected to Divine. And so as I sat through that message last week, I had quite a few take-home points for myself, as I'm sure you did, but I wanted to share briefly kind of two things that particularly stuck out to me. And the first was when we, when we engaged that passage about the, the, the fruits of the Spirit. Um, and what, what struck me is that the fruits of the Spirit are not just this list of commands, right? Paul doesn't write to the church in Galatia and say, be more loving, be more patient, be more kind, right? Galatians 5.22 is a list of fruit. It's a list of fruit. He, he's telling them that when someone remains connected to the vine, the natural consequence of that, or um, the natural outpouring of that, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And so if our desire is to bear that fruit... Yes, we want to keep our, our minds and, and eyes and ears on how we're bearing that, but, but ultimately, our attention has to be directed at remaining connected to the vine so that God can work through his spirit in us to bear the fruit that scripture says only he can bear because apart from him, we cannot bear that or in his words, we can actually do nothing. That's take home point number one for me. Um, but another thing that struck me was in another passage that Carolyn referenced in 2 Peter, where Peter is writing, and he says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and goodness knowledge, and knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love, right? Very fruits of the Spirit-esque, but he kicks off by saying, make every effort. Make every effort. As in, there is effort to be placed in my discipleship to Jesus, or if we want to stick with the, the terminology of Jesus in John 15, there is effort I have to place in remaining connected to the vine. And this is kind of an idea we've been preaching for a little bit here this notion that 
when it comes to our discipleship to Jesus or our spiritual formation, there are roles to be played. God certainly has his role to play, and we have our role to play. And I'm not saying it's 50-50. God certainly plays a larger role than we do, but both of us have roles to play. And we see in Scripture that his role is to bear the fruit, right? His role is transformation by the power of his Spirit. But our role is to create the space for that to happen. And according to Peter, our role, right, creating that space, takes some effort. And it does take some intentionality. It takes some decision-making. It takes maybe some planning our week. It, it requires us to say no to some things, not just for the sake of it, but so that we can actually say yes to better things. And all of that does require a little bit of effort on our part. And I would say, generally speaking, of all the things and the ways we talk about our, our relationship with God, the effort that has to go into it probably isn't the one we love to talk about. Um, and and that, that could be for a few reasons. I think for some, at one point in my life, this was me, um, thinking that any notion of, of effort on my part kind of invalidates the, God, the, the, the grace of God as if it's one or the other. It's God's grace or it's my effort. They don't work together. Um, and so Scripture is quite clear that we are saved by the grace of God. And we are saved by the grace of God. But we do both have roles to play, and so those things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. Um, but also, I think... Often we don't love to talk about the effort that has to be put forward if we want to see that fruit be bore. Um, is simply just because of the increasing demands that our life presents to us and that life in 21st century Aurora or Stouffville or Newmarket or wherever you live gives to us, right? The demands that our work give us, that our relationships give us, the demands that our children place on us, the increasing demands that the economy places on us. And so when you take all of that, you're kind of up to here on what you feel like you can handle. And so any idea of putting more effort, more time, more intentionality into our discipleship to Jesus, not only does it just not feel like that appealing or are we that motivated, it honestly sometimes just doesn't really feel that possible. And so I think in response to that sometimes... Um, we take the bar that our discipleship to Jesus and the role that we play in that, in our spiritual formation, we take that and we bring it down a little bit. And I think we, we lower that bar to something that's doable, that's realistic, that's possible, that's accessible in light of everything else I have going on in my life. Because when the bar is down here, we can get there. Like, we can do that. Um, and, and, and hitting that bar in terms of our discipleship to Jesus doesn't even have to get in the way of everything else in our life, right? We can squeeze this in and still work the same number of hours, spend the same amount of time doing the same amount of things. Our weekly schedule doesn't even really have to change that much, right? We can, we can do this. And I say that as someone who has done that. I'm not, I'm not throwing shots at anyone here this morning. I've, I've been this person at many times in my life, and and I'm not even necessarily saying this just to call it out. I'm actually saying it to implore a different question. Because what I want us to consider this morning is not that like 
if we have good reasons for lowering this bar. I think oftentimes we have really good reasons to do it. Um, what I want us to consider this morning is if that act of lowering our, the bar and lowering the expectations about what our role is in our relationship with God is, is if it actually gets us to where we ultimately want to go and where we want to trend. And so, again, it's a new year, it's September. Uh, this is a time where we often reflect back on the year that was and maybe think forward to the year that is about to come and think about maybe some of the goals we had set or, or ways we wanted to see ourselves kind of evolve throughout the year. Um, and we kind of, we think about that. And if you are a self-reflector, like my wife is, you don't have to be probed to think that way. You just naturally do that. If you're like me, you need someone to ask you that question or you'll never really self-reflect. And so it's September, it's church. I'm going to probe us this morning. If we think about this last year, did we grow as a disciple of Jesus in the ways that we either thought we would or the ways we would have really hoped? And if you remember last week, um, Carolyn posed this question, right? Does our life bear more fruit now than it did a year ago? And I would imagine a lot of people here would actually say yes, because I have seen it and I've been the recipient of a lot of the fruit that you have bore. And so it's amazing that I know many people here can say yes. Um, but I'd also imagine that, that some of us here might probably answer no to that question. Not really more loving than I was last year. I'm not any more patient. I still get angry. My, my bank account still has the exact same pull on my heart as it did a year ago. I still struggle with materialism. I'm still addicted to pornography. I'm not really that intentional with the people around me. Um, most of my day is just consumed by thinking about what's going on in my life. And so transformation by the power of the Spirit. Like, hmm, what's that? Like, I can't say I've experienced that this year. Now, I mean, maybe that's you this year. Um, if it wasn't you this year, I'm sure all of us could probably say that was us at some point in our lives. Um, and, and the question I pose to us is, do we think that's because God has been unfaithful at fulfilling what he says he'll do? Right? That the Spirit, for some reason, is just refusing to work in our lives? Or is it because maybe we've taken the bar and lowered it just enough that we aren't even giving the Spirit the space to work. And as Peter says, we're not making every effort to add to our faith. And so how, how do we do that? How do we possibly, moving forward into this next year, possibly raise that bar? And you could say a few things, but the one thing I would love to share this morning as a way that we can better remain connected to the vine and as a better way to create that space for the Spirit to come in and work in our lives is to raise the bar in terms of our commitment and our engagement with one another. Or in our language of this series, to reconnect with our church community and allow that to help us remain connected to the vine. 
And there's no better place to look in Scripture as to what exactly I mean by that or what exactly that bar could possibly be raised to than in Acts chapter 2, which Christina read for us this morning. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 2. Brief synopsis of Acts 1 and 2. We see, this is the story after the death and resurrection of Jesus, so we see Jesus ascend into heaven. We see the Holy Spirit, or the Advocate, descend as promised and indwell the life of the apostles. And then there's this whole scene where people are kind of confused as to what's going on. And so Peter, as the kind of leader of the crew, stands up before this crowd and preaches, essentially, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it says that after he's preached this sermon, that 3,000 people were added to them, their number that day. And so this, this crowd, after having placed their faith in Jesus, after receiving his righteousness and his justification, um, having received the gift of the indwelling spirit, you get this one-sentence synopsis of what their response is after. Like what, okay, so they heard the word and they received the word. What's next? And we see that in Acts 2, verse 42, which says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And, and key word there, second word in the sentence, devoted. They devoted themselves. And that word has both an intensity and a longevity aspect to it. It was a deep devotion, and it was a continual, ongoing devotion. Right? It wasn't a devotion that was convenient for them, or easiest for them, or when it didn't force them to leave their comfort zone, um, or when they had necessarily the time to devote themselves. It was a complete and utter devotion. To what exactly? Well, we see to the teachings of the apostles, to fellowship, or a word we typically use around here, community, same thing, um, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So the breaking of bread and to prayer. Two things that Jesus not only taught them how to do, but two things that he encouraged them to practice in their everyday lives. And so you have, you have teaching, you have community, and you have practice. Teaching, community, practice. Where have we seen this before? Our spiritual formation paradigm. The thing that I keep pointing us back to as the ways we create space for the Spirit to transform our lives from the inside out. Not an original idea. Completely plagiarized from Acts chapter 2. Right? The things that the very first church founded themselves on. And what becomes especially clear when you read passages like Acts chapter 2 is that community or fellowship of the believers in this, the language they use, it's vital. And it's not optional, it's not extra, it's not something that happens in isolation. You devote yourself to teaching and to practice in community. And that's the way you do it. Right? So in verse, verse 42, again, we see they devoted themselves to fellowship Verse 44 says that all the believers were together. Verse 46 says that they continued to meet together in the temple courts, that they broke bread in each other's homes, and that they ate together. Right? The, 
the message is clear, right? They, their response to the good news of Jesus Christ included a deep commitment and engagement in their community of believers. And so, because they devoted themselves to the teachings of the faith and the practices of the faith in their community of faith, look at the fruits that it bore. That passage goes on to say that they were filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. It says that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. It says they opened their homes to one another and shared food with one another. It says they praised God with one another. And it says that they found absolute joy in living life in such a way. This passage screams love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And how did that happen? How did that happen? Well, their bar, as, as in terms of what their role was in their discipleship to Jesus, was up here at complete and utter devotion to practicing the way of Jesus. Devotion to the teachings of the faith and the practices of the faith in their community of faith. And it's funny. I spent quite a bit of time sitting in with this passage and some others trying to figure out exactly what God wanted me to communicate this morning. I knew what the passage said. It's not a new one by any means, but just never had the breakthrough. And so I sat there for many hours in my office by myself trying to figure it out when I realized I needed a break. And so I went for a run with the person I share an office wall with, Nathan. And honestly, within 20 minutes of this run and chatting with him, the sermon was written, right? It's because I engaged in the teachings of the faith in my community of faith. I brought those two things together, right? I honestly don't know if you can devote yourself to one without devoting yourself to the others. And so if you don't like anything I share today, nathan.allen at northridgesa.com is where you direct that, that critique. Um, now, when we're talking about discipleship, when we're talking about remaining connected to the vine or spiritual formation, the responsibility of that ultimately resides in the church. There are great discipleship opportunities you can find elsewhere, I'm not against those, but ultimately the responsibility resides with the church. Every Protestant evangelical church has their own kind of mission and vision statement. They ultimately all just kind of find their way back to Jesus' final words in the Gospel of Matthew, where he's talking to his disciples and where he tells them to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And so if discipleship or if remaining connected to the vine requires us to be intentional about engaging with one another as we devote ourselves to the teachings of the faith and the practices of the faith, then us as a church... We not only have to provide that opportunity to all of us, we also have to be annoyingly persistent that we engage in them. Because if we aren't, A, providing the opportunity, and B, really encouraging us to press in, then I honestly don't know if we are faithfully fulfilling our call to be a people who make and raise disciples of Jesus. And so, 
Northridge is a church. That's no surprise. What opportunity are we providing for people to engage in Scripture, to learn how to live that out in their everyday lives, and to do so in such a way that is informative community, and a way that I'm going to be annoyingly persistent at encouraging you to participate in? I'd imagine we all know the answer to that question. It is what we used to refer to as small groups, and what we now refer to as life groups. What is a life group? Well, it's a place where anywhere from 5 to 15 people gather together regularly throughout the week where we open the word and try to figure it out together, where we figure out what that means in our specific context, in the job that I work or the relationships that I have. It's a place where we discuss the challenges to actually doing that and helping serve the, the physical and the spiritual needs of those other people, right? It's, it's a way to live out what we see in Acts 2 in 21st century Aurora. Now, I don't have a ton of time to discuss all the plentiful ways that I think reasons why I think you should engage in a life group. I've stood up here and, and shared many of those in the past. Um, so I've tried to reduce it down to two things. I'm, I'm going to try and be brief. I've been told I'm not that great at that. Two reasons why I think you should consider participating and maybe stepping into something like this. And the first is nothing profound. It's that I think life groups are just good for you, right? It is a space that we can enter into that helps us engage in the things that Scripture tells us the Spirit works through, right? It helps us devote ourselves to the teachings of the faith and how to live that out and does so as we engage with one another. And I could go on and on as to the many like, kind of things that that actually specifically looks like, but again, I'm not great at being brief, so I've left it to some others to try and share that with you. So I would encourage you to direct your attention to... Okay, John. Okay. <laughs> and you'll edit, right? Pardon? You'll edit it? Uh, okay, Angela. Mm-hmm. Before you joined a small group, was there anything that held you back from joining one? Is it okay to say no? Well, probably the biggest barrier is my work schedule. Working and commuting to Toronto. I was always a very private person. And I was probably too young to think I needed to join one. Just coming to the service, leaving, and now it's kind of like the extent. So why did you end up joining one then? Okay, I'll just answer the, like truthfully, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm really upset. Okay, <laughs> should I lie? The last 10 years, I went through a very difficult period in my life. Uh, with the support of the church, uh, started to change my views and how I look at uh, people and uh, trying to uh, open myself up to be a little bit more honest. I felt like I needed to be more than just a Sunday morning endeavor. So just coming to church on Sunday and, and leaving it at that, it's not enough. And I think it's really important to have other times throughout the week where you're investing in people and they're investing in you. I just felt the need to be fed more. You know, I, I have a lot of questions and stuff and about Jesus and everything. And she says, you know what, we have this small group. She says, I think you would really, really like him. 
What is one thing you've appreciated most about being in a small group? The food. <laughs> and that is the truth. Just our social event nights, I guess, are the best. Don't get me wrong, Bible study is good too, but whether it be a, a meal or watching the Leafs. I'm not too versed uh, with the Bible itself. What I have learned is just by asking questions to the other members, eventually somebody will always be able to tell me what that means. My cousin Liz, she uh, ended up with brain cancer. Uh, she had to go in for emergency surgery and they tried to remove the tumor. Unfortunately, they couldn't. So on the way home from the hospital, she actually signed on in the car so she wouldn't miss small group. When this lady started telling me her story, I was just like, wow, like, I can't wait to share this. People thinking of the group as that place, that safe place to be to go to quickly and know that they're going to be heard and listened to and prayed for. The things that you say at small group stay in small groups so then they become your prayer partners about really sensitive issues. People that actually will listen to when you're, you're hurt. It's brought me so far out of depression. It's brought me out of a drinking problem. Um, it has literally saved me. I don't know where I would be right now if it wasn't for Northridge and, and Nancy and the support of the small groups. So to close, what's one thing you've learned from being a part of a small group? Small group isn't always easy, but it's worth it. So even though there are some things that I could be doing that would, you know, doing chores or even um, getting some things done for work, I choose to prioritize small group. It's hard sometimes and sometimes you just don't want to go, but when you do, you realize how important it is. Being in a sense of community can help grow your faith. And people I normally would never have talked to, I actually feel uh, relaxed and compelled to actually open up to them. I think it's because we all have a common goal. We all have the same need. There may be individuals who are more spiritual, and maybe that could be a deterrent for some people thinking they're going into a group where everybody knows more than them. But at the bottom of it all, people want to connect. We have to be more in tune with, first of all, reading our Bible, praying, being part of a community. And this is a way of people getting together and learning how to do that well. I'm here to stay. Yeah. Probably one of the best decisions I've made. Nailed it. Nice. Yeah, I've, uh, I've listened to that video quite a few times the last week. Um, it's powerful stuff, right? Hearing, I mean, I preach the message all the time, but it's really nice to hear it from someone else sometimes. Like, Im important things happen at a life group, and, and so I, I think they're very, very beneficial for us. But that's part one. That is half of the story. And the other half of the story is not just what Life Group can provide for you, but what you can provide to a Life Group. Right? You are actually good for Life Group. Scripture talks about the church as a body. We are the body of Christ, and we all play a specific role within that body. And we have been given different gifts and abilities 
that are to be used for the benefit of the body, not just the benefit of ourselves. And so from that lens, when I, when I refrain from fully engaging in the community, not only that God has placed me, but that I've chosen to be a part of, when I refrain from fully engaging in that, I'm actually withholding something from it because I am a part of the body. Right? They're actually missing something when I choose to not fully engage. And so let's just say you hear those stories and you hear me talk about all the ways that Life Group is good for you. Um, and you hear that and you say, it's true. Like, I'm, I'm sure that's true. Um, but all those things that Life Group can provide to someone, I actually, I have it somewhere else. I have it in some friendships I have elsewhere or maybe some other groups that I'm a part of. And so I don't, I don't really feel the need um, to join one of these groups. And my response to you would be amazing. That is a tremendous blessing. And I'm definitely not against those things. Continue to press into those relationships. But, there's a but. If if we're calling, if, if you're sitting there and you call this place like your church home, I think there's a biblical responsibility to care for the other people who call this place home and to help them grow in their discipleship to Jesus, whether we have everything in common with them or nothing in common with them. I think that's just a responsibility we share when we call this place home. And that is a responsibility that is far beyond just Fred and Carolyn's. I think that that resides with all of us. But the second, right, like we may have those relationships or those friendships elsewhere that are, are helping us in our discipleship to Jesus, but a lot of people don't. Like a lot of people don't have those elsewhere, and maybe that's you today. Maybe you don't have that elsewhere. You're actually coming to church for that which is what you're supposed to do. Like, that is what we are supposed to be, right? And so if people are coming here looking for that, we have to be the people that are in their corner, that are helping them along, helping them remain connected to the vine, because that is the whole reason that we are here. That is why we are a body. That's why we're called to exist in community, to be our support for one another and to help each other remain connected to the vine. And if you think that, again, point two, you're good for life group, but realistically, like, what do I have to offer one of these groups? Um, I don't know much. I'm a new Christian. I, I don't really have a ton to offer. I would implore you to think again, because remember, the purpose of our life groups is not to just create smarter people. We're not after more intelligence. The purpose of our life groups is to spur one another on as we seek to practice the way of Jesus in community and to grow in our likeness of him and bear the fruit that only he can bear. And the purpose of these groups is just to create the space for all of that to happen. And so if you bring a wealth of knowledge of the Bible to your group, amazing. Your group will benefit tremendously. But if you don't have that to offer and all you have to offer are questions or opinions you think people might disagree with, or maybe just a bad attitude, or hurt, or sorrow, or shame, whatever it is, like all of that can be helpful for that space and for other people, because it creates the space for the Spirit to work in someone else's life, 
Right? It gives them the opportunity to be gracious. It gives them the opportunity to be patient with you, to be quick to listen and slow to speak. It gives them the opportunity to extend compassion, to bring a sense of peace into a turbulent situation maybe going on in your life, to extend undeserved kindness as Christ has extended undeserved kindness to us. And so it doesn't really matter what we have to bring. We all have something And you're bringing whatever that is, you're bringing something that can help someone else in their discipleship to Jesus, whether it is something that is encouraging to them or something that is challenging to them and making them rely on the Spirit in the way they respond to you. Um, And so my encouragement this morning is whatever we have to offer, consider bringing it. Allow it to shape those around you more into the likeness of Jesus and allow them to shape you and to help you. Allow them to help you remain connected to the vine and just watch as the Spirit uses that space to bear the fruit in you that only He can bear. Worship team, you guys are welcome to head on back up. Annoying persistence is what I said I was after. I hope I delivered. Annoying persistence. Again, the only reason that's our intention is because we want, we honestly want all of us to remain connected to the vine. We're not after booming ministries. We're after people remaining connected to the vine. And we honestly believe that one of the most helpful ways to do that is to remain connected to each other and the people that God has called us into a body with and that we've chosen to step into. And so, my ask of you this morning is not to come rushing up to me after and say I'm in. If you choose to do that, amazing. My ask of you is to just to go forth from this place and maybe re-engage some of the texts that we've read through this morning, maybe to just think about some of the questions I've posed. Commit that to prayer, commit that to conversation with your spouse or conversation with a close friend. And if any of that leads you to thinking, you know what? If I think about this last year, um, maybe I haven't necessarily been as connected to the vine because I'm not seeing the fruit that I see scriptures say I should be bearing. And you want to raise that bar a little bit. And you want to raise that bar specifically in terms of, of how much we are engaging and connecting and caring for each other in our own personal walks with God then there is a life group waiting for you. And all that information is on our website. If you don't like websites, I am always available to chat with. Specifically next week, we will have a booth out there with all of the options for people to engage in. Different nights of the week, different times. Again, we understand that there are demands on people, and so we've tried to make as many options as possible. So next week that will be there. But the reason we're doing that next week is not this week is because we're not necessarily looking for impulsive decisions. We want you to honestly take this and to pray about this as you go forth from this place. As we saw in the video, like really cool things happen when we fully embrace the community that God has placed us in. But it doesn't necessarily happen organically all the time. Sometimes we, ha- we have to take that step 
and fully, fully press in to that which God has brought together here in this place. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we have, as Felicia reminded us, so much to be grateful for. We have this beautiful space to meet in that is something that sometimes probably we don't even dwell in, but thinking about all the churches that don't have a space to meet and we get to come, we get to worship you in this safe and beautiful place. And we are so tremendously grateful for that, Lord, and believe that important things happen as we gather in this place. We also know, Lord, that you have given us this beautiful community, um, that this church is more than just the building, that this church is the people that make it up. And Lord, we all have our own personal walks with you. We have learned from that walk, and Lord, we believe that you have called us to encourage each other, to challenge each other as we seek to keep connected to you. That is our honest desire, Lord, and so I pray that if I think about this, this next year ahead, Lord, that I pray that this would be a year that, that you would show us and direct us how to best care for the people of this community and to best engage with them. And Lord, we know that we know that we are going to gather. We are going to, to meet together. And so I just want to pray over those times and those spaces that as we meet, yes, on Sunday mornings, but as we meet throughout the week and as we share all the stuff that's going on in our life and the challenges about that, that, that creates in our discipleship to Jesus, Lord, I pray that our, our times in our groups would be really helpful, would be really fruitful, and would be just enough space for you to come in and work through. That is our honest desire, Lord. And so I pray for the leaders that have decided to take ownership of these groups and that, that, that they would seek to run their groups with that ends in mind transformation by the power of the Spirit, to be able to press into the needs of whatever people end up in their group, Lord. Once again, Lord, we are so grateful, so grateful that you don't call us to this individualistic pursuit of some higher knowledge, but you call us to live out the faith to engage in the teachings of the faith in an amazing group of people. And for that, we give you thanks. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.